Hi, if it matters to you, and it matters to me, in a few weeks we'll be back in the cafe at Artichoke Music. As soon as I get jabbed, to be honest with you. Doing it on Skype works fine, but it's not like being in the same room. Therefore, bassist Jeff Langston is on the Skype with me. After a great run with Anthony and the Johnsons, touring the world and playing before tens of thousands, he decided to come back home to Oregon. You've heard him with Rachel Taylor Brown, Bree Gregg, and a lot of others. Got you interested? Let's meet Jeff Langston. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Tom. We've never met. It's true. <laughs> I like those, uh, although I'd rather be sitting across the table from you. I like the I like the the ones here where, where people I've, I've never met. I've just heard their music and and enjoyed it, and then uh, all of a sudden I get to talk to you. That's a good thing. Well, thanks for reaching out. It's nice to meet you over the phone. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I guess I'm I'm going through a bunch of. I must be going through another uh, Rachel Taylor Brown period because we just had Ben Landsberg on a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> And, uh, um, and uh, were you just were you just on her last album, or were you were on were you on other albums? I've played on uh, the last, at least parts of the last three albums. Awesome, That's that Rachel great. made. Yeah, she's. We'll get we'll get back into that. But uh, let's see. Uh, have you always been a bass player? Yes. I mean, I started on guitar, but uh-huh. uh, sort of the classic story i was demoted to bass but then found out that that was my more natural (laughs) uh musical sort of fit Uh in guitar i never learned chords you know when i was playing guitar i was self-taught in eugene before youtube you know gave you all of the information Uh, why did yeah self-taught how did you teach yourself well, just messing around, you know, playing by the dots, uh, <laughs> reading the back of Guitar Player Magazine for the, the theory, the, reading the theory sections uh-huh. from Guitar Player Magazine. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that got you to Berkeley. Ah, uh, yeah, eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> How old uh, were you when, you when you were teaching yourself? I started when I was 16. Wow, that's pretty late. Yeah, I agree. Wow, interesting, interesting. Um, did did uh, you, did did you um, save your money up and buy a bass? Is that what happened? Yeah, basically, I uh, well, I had a guitar, and then um, when I was demoted to bass, actually, my friend had a bass, uh-huh. and then I, so I played his for a while, and then eventually, yeah, I saved up enough money and got my own basses. It's funny; I've actually been on a quest to. Uh, reclaim all the bases that i once had really um because at the time at the time yeah i would just sell the base that i had to get uh-huh. the next base that i wanted yeah you know but at one point i had a nice rickenbacker 4001 uh-huh. and i had a 70s p base and i i said my first base was a fender music master which i haven't found yet again uh-huh. but i'm i'm sort of on the lookout for those but but yeah so well uh, you're not you're not you're not trying to reclaim the actual base that you had are you no, I think no. that's a lost cause, but just <laughs> the type of base. <laughs> that's like going back and finding old girlfriends. Yeah, I don't have that much time to <laughs> just sleuth, sleuth through the. Yeah, I don't even know how you would do that. Well, it's it, you, as long as you have their emails, it's some kind, some kind of contact, you know. I mean, I, 
I think right. it's. I mean, no, I well, I think it's. I think it's nice talking to having a relationship with old girlfriends and old and former wives. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I um, guess if you can be civil. Yeah, you can. Actually, you can. You really can. Uh, Good for you. I, I was just talking to my old hippie girlfriend the other day up in Seattle. The the, the girl who um, who embroidered um, flowers on the bottom of my bell bottoms and. Um, and uh, made uh, made curtains for the VW bus. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> it was. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, did you, you were in a band when you were 16? Yeah, basically, um, as soon as I got a guitar, yeah. I uh, started playing with people. Um, and I realized I, I think I avoided what could have been a very embarrassing situation. Um, <laughs> I heard a couple uh fellas talking in my social studies class at South Eugene High School that they had guitars and I just introduced myself and said I have a guitar do you want to get together and play but um, Tom I literally knew no notes I knew no chords I knew nothing <laughs> and I show up with my guitar Unfortunately, they knew no chords notes or not, nothing at all too so we just sort of played on the open strings and there was a drummer there and but but it was really what got me hooked, though. I mean, even uh-huh. without knowing anything, just playing kind of loud sounds with drums, uh, I, I felt like a foot off the ground. I, it, it, uh, there was no turning back. <laughs> Did you try to act, play actual songs? I think we tried to. We mangled like Louie Louie or something, you know, <laughs> but for, for the most part, we just were clashing on the, the open strings and the dots on the fretboard and just making kind of loud noise that felt really good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and, and and then you switched to bass, and, um, uh, and it, did, did something just grab you about it? after, you, after you, you, Well, I've been playing guitar basically monophonically to begin with. Like yeah. I said, I, I didn't know any chords or anything like that, yeah, so yeah. it was a very natural transition for sure. Uh, interesting. Sort of, I had been playing bass lines on the guitar the whole time, basically. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and uh, let's see, what, where did you go to school after that? Well, I went to, so I went to high school at South Eugene High School in Eugene, mm-hmm. and then I went to the U of O. Uh, I was actually undeclared. I never declared a major for four years um, because they didn't allow electric bass as a principal instrument in the music school. Huh? You had to be an upright player. The The year that I went was the first year Steve Owen actually uh, became the director of jazz studies there. Mm-hmm. So um, there were some good classes for me to take, but they didn't have electric bass as, as, a, as an actual instrument that you could become an, you know, officially a part of the music school wow. you know, playing. So uh, I just took all the jazz theory I could, played in ensembles, and uh, actually played in the, the women's vocal jazz where I met my wife. Huh. And, and then I, after and this a time was, there, this, I... This was with an upright or with, with your electric? No, I, I played electric. So I, I played okay. electric. Yeah, yeah. At the, but, but that was not the preferred instrument there. They, they, uh, I think I, I would have had more success at the U of O if I played upright, which was actually why I went to Berkeley, because Berkeley allowed for electric bass to, as, a, as a principal. Wow. And yeah. so I went there where, you know, where the, whereas at the U of O there were, maybe six bass players in the program while I was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy to feel unnecessarily 
happy or sad about your playing because you could peg yourself in a hierarchy pretty easily, mm-hmm. um, depending upon what ensembles you're getting. At Berkeley, there are 300 electric bass players, <laughs> 60, 80 upright players, <laughs> and e- each of them with their various you know specialties and whatnot. So yeah. actually, I felt like it was much more of a representation of, of the real musical world yeah. there. And so having so many electric bass players, was that daunting or did you fit in better? Oh, it was great. No, it was actually, it was, uh, like I said, it was really helpful because there were, you know, guys playing like stew ham, tapping and crazy stuff. There were uh-huh. metal guys there. There yeah. were yeah. Uh, funk gospel guys there, uh-huh. um, e- ECM kind of jazz guys there. So, sure. so it, it, um, it, what it really brought out in for, for me was that I need to figure out what I want to do and just really define that and do that with you know, the most energy and how did you, how did you, how did, how did you manage to figure that out? Oh, you know, just, uh, the, I figured like the only thing I could offer the universe musically was what I really liked, you know? So it, uh-huh. it came down to like really just trying to sit with my choices and make choices that I really believed in, try to find out what those were. What were they? Oh, well, I mean, technically the, you know, the third here or, distortion here or laying out there <laughs> just <laughs> musical choices you know uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. well what were you were you playing jazz or you playing what were you playing yeah well growing up in eugene the first stuff that i did was sort of like proto punk kind of stuff and then uh-huh. i yeah i definitely uh, went down a jazz path for a while and while i was at berkeley i for sure was mostly studying jazz uh-huh. uh, my my main teacher was I, uh, his name was Whit Brown. He was a, a Ray uh, Ray Brown uh, disciple. Uh-huh. Uh, so even though I played electric, I I, uh, I studied a lot of of Ray Ray's playing, Paul Chambers, and a lot of the great upright mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I studied with other people who. Um, one one of the great things about Berkeley was you, you had this, you know, wonderful faculty there that were were the teachers were all specialized in different things. So I was able to take a semester with Oscar Stagnaro mm-hmm. to realize who, who played bass with Quito de Rivera to re- realize I don't have any Latin bass instincts at all. <laughs> and then um, one guy was a Marcus Miller guy. Some of the uh, Anthony Vitti had had wonderful Marcus Miller transcriptions that I still take out and practice sometimes. And really? Then, um, but then I really settled with uh, Wit. Yeah. Huh. At the end. Interesting. But, yeah. But I only played jazz mostly through Berkeley. When I went to New York, um, most of my work ended up in the singer-songwriter genre. So really? why, I, why is that? I think that's just what the work was. The the jazz yeah. gigs that you could get were like yeah, three yeah. hours, and four hours that paid like thirty dollars plus tips <laughs> or something like that. Where yeah. you could yeah. play like forty-five minutes at the bitter end for a hundred dollars. It seemed like a better deal. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So you you and and so and you, since you were not daunted by 600 bass players in, at uh, at Berkeley, I guess you weren't daunted by by being in New York, huh? No, I was very uh, wide eyed and, and naive and excited. Yeah. <laughs> no, by by the time I I left Berkeley, I definitely knew more people who were going to New York than I knew yeah. back in the Northwest. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So did you? Did, so did you, what did you do? You, you just moved. You just moved to New York, right? Just moved to New York. Did you have roommates? 
Uh, well, I was with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Ah, that's a big difference right there. Oh, it helps. It, it, I, I think I, I yeah. was able to uh, live a, a maybe a higher standard of living than some of my friends who are with roommates in basement apartments in Williamsburg and, and right. such. Right. Yeah. No, my wife and I moved into a one-bedroom in Washington Heights. Whoa, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so what – how did so, – so you you knew people in New York who had been at Berkeley. Is that it? Right. Mostly my professional network were just – Friends from school, for sure. And then uh, actually a couple of people from the Northwest had also moved to New York. And mm-hmm. so I knew a little bit of a, of a Eugene contingency that, were, that was out there. Ricky Swam and mm-hmm. um, Jason DiMatteo and John mm-hmm. Bollinger, some, some guys that I grew up with that, that are still out there now. Uh-huh. Huh. Um, so did you, did you land gigs right away? Well, when I got there, yeah, I mean, it was a struggle at first, for sure. I would take whatever gigs I could get. Um, I did a million odd jobs. I was a, a foot messenger for a while, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I did a ton of uh, of a lot of weird, yeah, a, a bunch of weird sort of side hustle jobs while I was there. Um, for about the first like three or four years. I was doing that, and then around 2000, 2001, I I, uh, I got a gig for a Christian musical um, that that flopped, but it was it was it, I think the production company went bankrupt, but but it was it was about six weeks of steady work with with uh, with um, you know enough money to just do that. Yeah. And very shortly after that, I I started playing in another like uh, a band called Soul Farm, mm-hmm. which was sort of a this Hebrew band that that uh, I don't know if you know Shlomo Karlbach, but mm-hmm, sure. he he was he was he was a musical Rebbe, and two of the band leaders two of the band leaders played in his last musical iteration, and mm-hmm. they continued that tradition, and so they had a they had a strong following, and so basically I didn't have to do any of those other jobs after that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. A, a, a privilege. I feel very fortunate. So was was were you doing any recording at that time? Well, I did, yeah. Um, I was lucky uh, enough to play with the singer LP uh, in a band called Lionfish. And LP's mm-hmm. now in Los Angeles, and she's doing really well right now. I'm mm-hmm. happy for her. Um, and the drummer that used to play with her, um, Tara, uh, would come to shows, and that's how I met her. And she got me on the Anthony and the Johnsons uh, gig. And so with yeah, I did a, I did some records with Anthony and the Johnsons and uh, what was that like? Other... <laughs> because at, the, at that at that time, like they were the coolest thing on earth. It was amazing, Tom. It was it was. Uh, I feel very lucky, right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, a very inspiring circle of musicians, um, incredible performance situations. All uh, yeah, uh, it, it was a. Amazing situation. I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of. What was the? Uh, did you have to audition for that? Right. Actually, I don't know if this is an interesting story, but this is a true story. <laughs> um, a, a dear friend who's a great bass player, who's out there, Jason D. Matteo, called me and said that he was going to play with Anthony and the Johnsons, um, and I thought, great, I'd heard of them. This was before any of like the the stuff that happened later. I'm a bird now, and and. Mm-hmm and whatnot but um then two days later uh 
it was Anthony at the time. Now, now she's Anoni. An- yeah. Anoni called me and um, asked if I wanted to play a show, uh, like in two days. <laughs> and and I said okay. And uh, so I, I I met her. I think the next day. I had assumed all along that Jason had just not been available and had recommended me. But it turns out that uh, the cello player had recommended my friend Jason, mm-hmm. and the drummer had recommended me. <laughs> and Anoni ended up going with the the drummer's recommendation, but the cellist didn't know me. The drummer didn't know Jason. I just thought it was amazing that out of all of the bass players in New York, the two two guys that would have been called were both from Eugene. <laughs> God, that's uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, small and like literally, he's one of my very best friends. You know, it's just wow. it's a small small strange world. Yeah, yeah, but um. Yeah. But yeah, no, I played a show. So I played a show with them. It went well. And they asked me for more shows and it went well. And then, you know, for the longest time, I thought we would just be kind of peripheralized critical darlings. You know, um, mm-hmm. I did not expect the level of success that we ended up having. Mm, it felt really? like uh, the, the good folks win for once. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like for you? Oh, it was like, you know, all of your childhood guitar player dreams coming true. Wow. Um, yeah, we we uh, did many many tours. We got you know we headlined Carnegie Hall with Lou Reed. Uh, I was a big you know John Entwistle was one of my first heroes. I was a big mm-hmm. fan of the Who and Roger Daltrey had us play uh, for his at the Royal Albert Hall for his Teenage Cancer Trust. So wow. uh, it was heady for me thinking that all the hours that I've listened to the Who and then Roger Daltrey was actually listening to me. Wow. Play with Anthony and the Johnsons. I thought that oh, was uh, uh. kind of surreal, huh. but yeah, a lot of lot of surreal moments. A lot of really beautiful music. Tom, really really great players. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a wonderful time. I'm grateful for all of that <laughs> experience. So what happened? Did 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 uh, she decide to to break the band up? Well, um, yeah, it, it it sort of was a gradual process. Uh, yeah. We toured heavily from about 2000 i could be wrong with these dates 2003 2004 yeah through about 2009 2010 that's that's, um, that's, that's quite I, that's quite a run it was no it was great it was it it, it, it was um and then um i would say this anoni is is very good at reinterpreting her work Mm-hmm. So many of the songs that we played were just written on a piano for maybe a cabaret kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And in the end, many of those same works were, were finally fully realized in symphonic productions. Um, so so after the band had gone for six or seven years, Anoni sort of pivoted to doing fewer shows with orchestras. Mm-hmm. And so by by the end, she was just doing some orchestral shows. And now I don't think she's performing live. I think she's focused more on uh, other fine arts work. Really? Yeah. Are you still in contact? A, we email maybe around birthdays, mm-hmm. but I, mm-hmm. for a while I know that she was living in Ireland. And mm-hmm. uh, I, when I moved out to Portland it, in Eugene, it was it was uh, the, we didn't talk as much after that. What did that gig do for you as far as the, developing your playing? Well, um, I think most of all, it allowed me, it was almost like getting the diploma from the Wizard of Oz. Uh, 
it, it sort of allowed me to believe, believe, you know, yeah. that I could be an actual professional playing music. Um, playing wise, the parts themselves were actually uh, very uh, un, un, under uh, demanding in terms of technique mm -hmm. and uh, I, I may have even uh, lost some of my speed as I got more focus on on tone and uh, specifically the tone that I could get from pulling the strings at different parts of the bass like higher up on the neck or whatnot so mm -hmm. I guess what it did for my playing was it got me hyper aware of articulation of notes for, for a couple years we did tours without a drummer at all so wow. it was me and strings, and um, that was a challenge as an electric bass player uh, to, to to produce a sound that didn't sound, you know, rattly or or, yeah. or that could blend that could blend with a with a with a group of strings. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Were, so, were you were you a, a percussive bass player to begin with? Well, you know, uh, having to learn bass in the '90s, I, I learned, I did learn how to slap yeah, and yeah. whatnot. But, but I've, I'm sort of reformed and reject that, <laughs> reject <laughs> that style now. Um, but, but yeah, for sure, I could. Don't let, don't let Larry uh, Graham hear you say that. Ah, uh, I got to meet him. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Once. Yeah, I did. Uh, actually, that was with a different group. Uh, while I was at Berkeley, I played in a in a rap band, and we did a couple tours. This group called the Exile Society. It's uh -huh. a good group of guys. Uh, this, this drummer, Swiss Chris, went on to be John Legend's musical director for a while, and um, it was that was really fun too. Uh, hmm. uh, going around Europe playing. Uh, <laughs> there were four rappers from from Roxbury who came to Berkeley to get live musicians to do <laughs> live rap, which really the Roots were doing it, but not that many people were doing it. So unsigned band from Boston could actually play rooms in rural Switzerland and sell like 400 <laughs> seats. It was kind of amazing, really. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. the production, the, 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 the booking agent that we had also booked Larry Graham. And so uh, uh, one show somewhere in Switzerland, we we uh, we got to go to, to his show and, and meet him. And it was an honor to give him a hug. He was a uh, kind, kind gentleman. I'm glad to hear that. Very warm. I'm so glad yeah. to hear that because, you know, it's... It, Half the time, it's you know, it's usually fifty-fifty. Either either he's a he's a great guy or he's an asshole, you know. Right, uh, right. I'm, no, I'm, I asked him about what he thought of people sampling, you know, music, his music, and and he loved it. He thought it brought his music to a younger audience, and and was all for it. That's great. I, you know, I do a soul music show on KMHD, and I play Larry Graham all the time. Nice, all the time. Yeah, yeah. My name is Larry Graham. <laughs> yeah, he is larger than life. I have to say, he's larger than life in person. He's larger than life. I've talked to, uh, uh, um, um, uh, oh, jeez, I can't remember her name. Anyway, never mind. Um, so, so why did you why did you leave all this and come back to, to Oregon? Sure. Um, my last year of touring was was actually our biggest year of touring too. We were probably on the road, gosh, at least six months. Um, and my son was born, and uh, my my wife and I had our our first child, and uh, and my family are all in the northwest, from Seattle to Eugene, and mm -hmm. my wife's family are all scattered from uh, you know southern Oregon to to Portland, and so we wanted um, 
to know we wanted our son to know his family his 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 grandparents yeah. and also we wanted some some help raising him and i was out of new york about half of the year anyway so it didn't feel as critical for me to retain uh-huh. my new york address mm-hmm. and so that was basically the calculus and we decided we decided we wanted to raise our son out here wow so do you still get calls from people in new york to play not so much there, yeah. there was some yeah. stuff at first um there would be little little random things for after the first couple of years but not so much anymore huh that's, that's interesting so um did, did you hook up with former with, with people that you used to play with or were there when, people were there, when you moved back here, or were there people here that you that you that you wanted to play with? Right. Well, when I moved back here, I was still touring uh, mm-hmm. mostly, uh, so so I I, I didn't uh, look that hard at playing uh, around that much. Um, but then gradually, when I when I did start to look look to play here. Um, I knew I grew up with Shelley Rudolph. I don't know if you know Shelley Rudolph. Of course, I know Shelley Rudolph. I was I was I was the MC uh, at 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 the at the benefit for her at the Secret Society when she was when she was uh, uh, like mo- moments away from giving birth. Oh, I saw the pictures for that show. That just yeah. <laughs> she and Chance, yeah, staring at her belly. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. So, well, Shelly and I uh, grew up in Eugene together. We yeah. were like like the third or fourth band that I ever played in was with with Shelly. Wow. So I I uh, reached out to her, and then um, I reached out to my friend who's a sort of a jazz guitarist. He teaches at Portland State, Dan Gilday. Sure. Um, and uh, got in touch with them, and we did some things here and there. Um, I met uh, Holcomb Waller mm-hmm. at uh, when when Anthony the Johnsons played the Schnitzer. I met Holcomb there, and actually that was a wonderful connection for me in terms of meeting people in Portland. Through Holcomb, I met Rachel and Ben. Aha! Uh-huh. They were both playing with him uh, the first time I ever played with him. So uh-huh. um, I'm grateful. To Holcomb, always. <laughs> it must be an interesting experience playing with Rachel Taylor Brown. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I always try to. People always put her in the singer-songwriter category, and she's not. She's not a singer-songwriter. She writes art no. songs. Yeah, uneasy yeah. listening. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Moniker. So you've been on three of her albums. Uh, yeah, I played on uh, Run Tiny Human, and mm-hmm. then I played on Fallamy, and yeah. then I played on uh, a couple songs on World So Sweet. Hmm. I think that was when I first first met her. Yeah. You play live with her? Have you? I have, yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she had her Run Tiny Human show at uh, the St. David of Wales church in in southeast here yeah and uh i played on that show yeah i i i I played with her yeah many times live yeah she's a wonderful live performer yeah i know i missed that show i had to do my radio show that night uh that was a good show i'm sure it was i'm sure it was so one little thing that i love about rachel if i could just share real fast um that church you know has 
is an, is an old church. Some of the electricity was a little dirty. <laughs> and for whatever reason, my bass was making, if I, if I turned my tone knob all the way up on my bass, there was this really rich hiss, static <laughs> kind of sound. Um, so I had to first of all be very careful when I wanted a normal bass tone not to have my tone knob all the way up. But then <laughs> we managed to use that sound as a segue in <laughs> between two other numbers as, as an ending and an intro to ending of one song and an intro to another. And I just thought that was so beautiful. Of course, nice. of course, Rachel would make this static that this dirty like power is causing to become beautiful. Of course. <laughs> of course she would. That's funny. So you, you recently put a, a video together for her sure. or, or with her song. Tell me about that. Yes. We, we ran that as our featured video on Oregon Music News. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that was just uh, my wife and I were sitting, you know, together listening uh, to the news and kind of uh, realizing that that song, uh, Air Apparent, really captured a spirit um, that that uh, uh, that we thought was present in that event and so my wife found this footage and uh from abc news and sort of like the wizard of oz uh we put that song to it and it lined up very well and just in terms of when the scenes change <laughs> with the music and yeah. whatnot um, and we're talking about january just, 6th yeah exactly yeah yeah the, so so there's there was some serendipity there in terms of the video uh, yeah. lining up with the music but yeah yeah well, coincidence and accident play a, coincidence. Coincidence and accident play accidents play a, a, a large role in the creative process. I always thought. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, uh, that was terrific. Um, so, well, what, thank are, you are, for featuring it. That was very nice. Of you oh, talking. sure, sure. Uh, so, are, are you uh, are, are you doing live streaming? What are you What are you doing to, to keep to, to keep keep your thing going? Right. Um, well, I'm grateful I have some students, so I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and then I do occasionally do live streams with the Low Bar Chorale with Ben. Yes. Um, and I also yes. play with, uh, yeah, which is a really fun circle also. I love everybody involved in that project. So many big hearts, uh, so much good energy, great music. Um, that's been a wonderful, wonderful uh situation to be involved in here yeah yeah and alan alan hunter and they're very kind that they let me sort of tag along because alan hunter's really the main bass player but, they, but oh. they're very kind and keeping me uh involved <laughs> so i'm i'm grateful of it uh really nice folks love that group and then um i also play in a band with brie greg i don't know if you know brie greg sure uh uh, and uh, Danny, Dan Gilday, they mm -hmm. have a sort of, they're a songwriting team, and, mm -hmm. and Brie has a band, Redbird, and we've done uh, most of the live live streaming things, the, the left door streaming at the 1905 and the uh, PDX Couch Tour and, and stuff. Yeah. I just had Moses on the, on, on the podcast last week. I heard that one. I yeah. listened to that, yes. <laughs> Oh man, um, you know it's like the, it, the these the, these turn out to be who's next, who's next, who's near, who's near, <laughs> sure. who's near this person, and who's next in line for this person, and then, you know it's funny. Well, that's how music works too. Yeah, that's how yeah. that's yeah, how yeah. your circles expand. It's true. It's true. 
Uh, and I'm always glad. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to meet new people all the time. You know, it's good. It's good. It's good, it's good for me. It's good for everybody. I think. Although I do like to have people <laughs> come back, uh, you know, who's, who've been on before. And speaking of the low, the uh, low bar, um, uh, I I made a mistake. I had a typo. It wasn't even a okay. typo. I just made a mistake, and I put it up originally as the low brow um, corral. <laughs> And so I, That's I, not a bad name, though. Well, I apologized <laughs> profusely to Ben, you know, and he said, "Don't worry about it." Uh, Storm Large once introduced us from the stage at the Schnitzer as the low, as, as, as the lowbrow corral. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, it's probably because I used to go to that that dive in in, in the Pearl before it was called the Pearl. It's called Lowbrow Cafe or something over over, over there." Oh, okay. I'm not aware of that place. Yeah. Uh, well, Ben is because <laughs> he used to hang there too. <laughs> nice. That was before before it got uh, it got uh, richified. Sure. Uh, well, listen, Jeff, I really appreciate this uh, spending time well, thank with me you, Tom. because I think yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that kind of kind of ties up the bow there with the uh, people who work with not everybody, but uh, important people who work with uh, with Rachel. And uh, and Ben and everybody else. So uh, we're gonna. Uh, I, I asked you uh, if we could go out on on one of the tunes. And the, you, what did you? Which one did you pick? I was thinking Little Gyre off uh-huh. of Run Tiny Human. Uh-huh. And uh, wh- tell me tell me about that that tune. Oh, I just I love it. It's um, I guess it's the third track uh-huh. on on the album, uh-huh. and uh, it's. If I understand Rachel's narrative, it's the space debris having a conversation with the ocean garbage <laughs> island. <laughs> right? Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, what I love about that particular track is just it's the most hardcore sounding music and it's piano (laughs) still it's just piano and somehow it's as punk rock as anything um but uh and there could be so many uh songs of rachel's that i would love to end this interview with but um, that one just popped into my head first all right well listen jeff thanks a lot for your time really appreciate it um tom thank you thanks so much for having me okay that's entertainment (laughs) (laughs) 